church, I'd like to invite you to just open your hands in your lap where you are. And just think back, have you ever experienced what I would call a glory cloud moment? I don't mean that literally that there was a cloud of glory, but I mean a moment where you were overcome with the presence of God. Where God was so there, for me, it's, it's often moments of, of being paralyzed. I remember very clearly at Challenge Conference as a youth pastor with students, and the presence of God was so there, and, and it was the end of the evening, and, and the band was playing, and then they stopped, and I, like, I yelled at them in my heart, like, no, don't stop! This is a glory cloud moment where God's presence is so clear. I've had those moments in the hospital with Braden. I've shared with you those moments in the Talbot Library where I've been paralyzed by my sin, but even more so by the glory of God, by his holiness, by his righteousness, by his beauty. Maybe it's when you're sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe it's in a moment of silence and solitude, but those moments where there's clarity in who Jesus is and what he's all about, which is his glory. And he gives you just the taste of that glory, and you're like, wow. Jesus has been saying through the gospel, can you hear me now? Are you listening? And this morning, he's going to go to a text where he's going to say, now I want you to see it. Peter, last week, answered the question correctly, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ. And this week, God, the Father, is going to answer the question. And the transfiguration is this beautiful picture of the glory of God on display for all of us to see so that our lives would be changed forevermore. So our certainty would be increased. So our trust would be deepened and so that we would just get a taste of his glory. So with your hands open and your heads bowed, would you pray with me? Father God, right now, as we open your word, we wanna hear you. We do want to be overcome by your presence so that nothing else in this world matters. Open our ears so we might hear. Give us certainty. Further, the revelation of the depth of the magnitude, the complexity of the overwhelming, awe-inspiring brilliance of who you are, Jesus. We want to see you, Jesus. We know you're sitting at the right hand of the Father, so Spirit, allow us. Minister to us through your word, Father, so that we might grow in understanding. For your glory, we want to see you. For our joy and certainty, we want to see you. And for the good of people yet to believe, may they see you in us, we pray. And all of his people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up because there's no better place to see God than in his word. Amen? Luke chapter 9, turn there with me, and we're going to look at this text which is beautiful. It's been a blast this week. Have I told you thank you again? Thank you for letting me be your pastor so that I can spend time to read this. If you're not reading it, you're missing out. Luke chapter nine, here is the text. Follow along with me on your devices or in your Bible. Luke chapter nine, verse 28. Jerry, if you could follow along with me on the screen, I'd like to just read from here. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Imagine this, church. And behold, see, there were two men who were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were, were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, church, now's the time to wake up. You fully awake yet? Then they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good 
so good that we are here. Let us make these three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and not knowing what he had just said. As he was saying these things, this cloud shows up, the glory cloud. God himself comes and overshadows them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and no one in those days, and they told no one in those days of anything that they had just seen. <gasps> wow. Anyone want to be there? <laughs> How good is that? That we get invited into the presence of God. And here's what we see every time we see the presence of God. That Jesus, who is God incarnate, fully man, fully God, that Jesus is like nobody else. I think there's two things that I want us to miss in the text this morning. One is that Jesus is like nobody else. The second one is to pay attention to how do the disciples interact and respond. Because we are disciples. If you're here this morning as a follower of Christ, you've picked up your cross, you've followed him, you're a disciple of Christ, and we have a lot to learn from the disciples. Now, there's no accident that this text comes right now. What happened last week? Do you remember? He said, pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. But he said, before I'm going to be the lion and return in all my glory, what am I going to be first? We just sang it. The lamb. The sacrificial lamb. So he, he predicts his death for the first time last week. Now he shows up in this incredible way. And then next week, guess what he's going to do again? He's going to predict his death. Prediction of death, prediction of death, and right in the middle is this incredible experience with God. We need those because things are going to happen in our life. Remember the four quarters living with Jesus from last week? Hey, Niners won last night. Anyone see that? <laughs> nothing to do with the sermon, but good day. Too bad it means nothing. But here's what's going on. The disciples in those first three quarters, they're going to doubt. They're going to be, Jesus, you're going to suffer. What are you doing? You're the Messiah. You're supposed to be king. You're just like, I am king. I'm here the king to lay down my life. Upside down thinking. Kingdom versus empire. So the disciples, they're going to need moments with Jesus. Now, they had moments with Jesus that have been like, whoa. What did those look like? You remember? I don't know, raising people from the dead. Feeding 5,000. Having no tires on your car one day and having tires the next day, Right? That's what it looks like. And over and over again, the disciples have seen Jesus in ways that no one else has. He's taught in parables, and he's revealed his parables in a way that no one else can understand. He's like no other. But don't miss the fact that Luke gives us this story right in between these two things. And maybe right now, you're right in between two cruddy circumstances. Don't miss the transfiguration of who Jesus is. He is like no other. No other. Here's the text. We're going to walk through it. Incredible text. First verse. Now, about eight days after these sayings, what are these sayings? You remember? I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. Don't be surprised. Oh, and by the way, come with me. It's a blast. Right? These sayings. Eight days after these sayings, he takes up with him Peter, John, and James. Now, who are these guys? You know, remember? Wow, we're on it today, church, right? Who are these guys? The inner circles are disciples, but the inner circle, remember chapter 8, verse 51, Chris preached on this text, and these three got to go inside the room. They got to go see the healing and experience it firsthand. This is the beloved, this is the brother, and this is the boy that he's going to build his church on. That's who these guys are. Three amigos, whatever you want to call them, Larry, Moe, Curly, it all fits. And he takes these three guys and he brings them somewhere special with a purpose, with a purpose. Nothing Jesus does is on accident. 
He's God. Now, say amen to your circumstances that right now you don't like, amen? Nothing's on accident. He takes them, and what does he do? He takes them up to the mountain, and what does Jesus do at the mountain? He's there for one purpose. What is it? To pray. And we know that whenever we pray, good stuff's gonna happen. Our definition of good's different than God's, right? So be careful. But something good's gonna happen. So they go up to the mountain, and and who was praying? Does anyone know? Jesus. We'll get to the disciples later. We're gonna focus on Jesus like nobody else right now. I don't wanna be depressed yet. Jesus is like nobody else, and he's praying. And we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us what he's praying for. You see that? He's just shared with his disciples he's going to suffer. He's given them this invitation to relationship, to discipleship, to follow him. I could see Jesus. This is my idea. It's not in the text, but it would make sense to me. I could see Jesus saying, hey, Father, like, you're going to have to do something for these guys because they still don't get it. And as he's praying, see what the text says? And as he was praying, what happens? The appearance of his face. Notice all the things the disciples get to see. All, everyone in the world, right? I'll believe it if I can. First of all, that's a lie. That's not true. The disciples probably said that too, and they were the ones that saw it the most. So just be careful when you say that in your heart or hear somebody else. What you're really saying is, Spirit, you need to overcome me because I don't have the eyes to see. Make sense? That's what we were really saying. But he said, I'll believe it when I see it. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Now I think of like bitter drink face right now, right? Like, what does that mean exactly? It's not, that, oh, it's not that it's sour or bitter. Something's being altered. Something's being done, I think, to Jesus on the inside that's permeating out. The text goes on. The appearance of his face was altered. Now, Jewish people believed that your face, your countenance, was often a picture of your heart, that it would show what's really going on. I've wrestled with that. As I get a little older, my face continues to droop down, right? I'm like, Jesus, how do I just do this, Right? That your face would show what's going on. When I see people say, how are you doing? For the most part, I already know, right? I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. I'm not omnipotent. I don't know all. But I can tell by what your face looks like how you're doing. We can tell who Jesus is by his face right now. By the appearance of his face, it's bright. It's not that his clothes are like becoming, they got glow stick rubbed all over them. That's not what we're talking about here. The text goes on, it says this, his clothing became as dazzling white. It's not that the clothes change, it's that the person wearing the clothes, Jesus has had this veil on. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter two. We call it kenosis, it's this idea that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man, that there is a veil. Jesus didn't become any less God when he became man. This is important. Fully God. But he wears a veil to the world where they don't understand it completely. And what's happening here is God the Father is pulling back the veil for just a second. Jesus is starting to be seen for who he is. And he's like no other because he's God. And there's this radiance from Jesus, from his person, that shines like nobody else. I'm not talking about the prego glow. I'm not talking about the bride on her wedding day glow. I'm talking about God. The presence of God, which is radiating out from Jesus. So it's making his face appear different. His clothes look different. His clothes haven't changed. But the presence of God is coming out. Can you picture that? Just for a second, can you try to imagine the glory of God? Here's what I promise. You can't. So we ask God to give us wisdom to see Because when we come encounter with God, what does Moses do when he comes encounter with God? What does he do? He like hides in a rock, right? Because the presence of God would do what to Moses? Right? 
In fact, this reminds us of Moses. Go all the way back to Exodus 34 when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after hanging out with Jesus and he's been given the tablets of the law and he comes down with them in hand and Moses did not know. This is what I love about pregnant women. You don't even know how wonderful you look. Moses had no idea. He had no idea that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God and Aaron and all the people. They saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone. And what were they? They were tripping out, right? This isn't normal. They didn't know what to do with the glory of God, the divine radiance that was being revealed. And on many levels, I'm convinced that God at times veils the glory of Jesus to people because they couldn't handle it. It's why he keeps saying to people, don't tell them yet, don't tell them yet, don't tell them yet. It's not gonna make sense. It's gonna make them more confused. But lest we can get confused that Jesus is just another Moses, Moses shows up on the scene. Here's what the text says. And behold, another word for see. See what's taking place, Luke tells Theophilus. And behold, two men were talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, of course, I ask the question, why did these two guys come? And there's all sorts of reasons. I think that Moses is the perfect representative of the law. He was the one that received the law, that gave the law. He was the one that had to shepherd people and coach them through the law and what the law was and what it wasn't. It was given to provide for them relationship with God, to protect them from compromising that relationship. And then you've got Elijah, who I think Elijah is one of the most well-respected prophets. This is why back in verse 18, they're like, oh, Jesus, the crowd. Remember, the crowd says maybe Jesus is just the coming back of Elijah because he was one of the best prophets ever, most well-respected. I mean, people were confused. Is Jesus the son of God or is he just Moses coming back or Elijah? Because both of these men kind of disappeared, if you remember in the Old Testament. Moses goes up on top of the hill and he sees the promised land, all the land for his future descendants. And God says, sorry, bud, because of your life and your sin, you actually won't see it. And then he dies and he's buried there. Who's he buried by? Anybody remember? We don't know. God. Literally, he's buried. So no one knows where the bones of Moses are. And then we got Elijah. Elijah goes up in a chariot. And when does he come down? We don't know. So it's kind of common for the crowd to say, who's this Jesus guy? Maybe he's most, maybe he's Elijah. If he's standing with both of them, is he either of them? No. No, but both of them pointed towards him as the prophet that was really very focused on the end of the life, on, on the fact that God's glory was going to come someday, and the prophet that also was led by God to give us the law. So you have Moses and Elijah, they're standing with them, and they're having this conversation. They appear in glory, and they spoke of, of whose departure? Jesus. Jesus' departure that's going to come in six months. Now, often when Jesus shares with people, it's usually in a correcting sort of a sense. I've got this belief that Moses and Elijah, after hanging out with the Father, they've got a much better, fuller picture now of what's going to take place in the next six months. Can you imagine that conversation, though? Jesus is telling Moses and Elijah, okay, guys, so here's the game plan. We're going to run an out route. Actually, it's going to be an out and up. Everyone's going to fake, and they're going to jump, and then I'm going to take off. Right? And imagine that kind of conversation. It's not in a like a, hey, you guys are way off, like Jesus usually does. It's in very much a like, come along with us. Here's what's going to happen. My, my disciples, they're not going to get it, but in six months, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. That's what's going to happen. I think that'd be a really cool conversation, talking about the departure. Who gets the departure? Another word for departure is exodus. Who gets exodus more than Moses? And I imagine at that point when Moses, who I think is kind of like Peter and kind of like Drew, which means he's not all there. I think at that point, Moses is like, dude, Jesus, like it's gonna be super hard to lead these people. You know they're sheep. You don't wanna hit them with a staff. 
right? I mean, I can picture Moses who's like, I've led people out of Exodus. I've led people out of exile. I know what departure's like. They ain't gonna listen. And I can imagine Elijah at that point stepping in and saying, dude, maybe if you were a good shepherd or like the shepherd, then they'd listen. And just like, actually guys, they're gonna reject me in the same way they rejected you. That's my plan. That's the father's plan. So, so don't be caught off guard. And they're talking about his departure. They're talking about this epic plan of crucifixion and then resurrection. Would you like to be a part of that conversation? These disciples were invited to be a part of that conversation. They were invited for that moment. And the conversation continues because Jesus is the fulfillment of both of these men and all that the Old Testament promised. Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills the law. Jesus is the prophet that came. He is the lamb of God to be slain, and he is the lion that will rule victorious. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And if you weren't here for our fall series, I would encourage you, do one of two things. Read the whole Old Testament or listen to those 15 messages. Take time to look at the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. That's why Moses was here, and that's why Elijah was here, to get us ready to see Jesus so that we wouldn't miss him. The text continues on and it says this, now Peter, and we love Peter, don't we love Peter? Because he makes us feel good about ourselves. Now Peter, who was with them, they were kind of heavy, they were kind of asleep, they were in and out, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men, they stood with him. And Peter's like, dude, this is awesome, but the two guys are taking off. You see that in the text? And as the men were parting from him, Jesus, Peter's like, wait, wait, wait. I got an idea. Now, first of all, how arrogant must you be to have an idea with Moses, Elijah, oh, and Jesus. <laughs> Guys, you didn't think about this one. Does that sound like your prayer sometime? Not you, surely. But he comes to these three guys as they're taking off, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, Master, and look at what he says. He says, Master, it's so good that we're here. So good that we're here so we can be overcome by your presence and we can hang out. And he says, let's build these three tents. Three tents specifically, I think talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles. Feast of the Tabernacles was a celebration in Jewish culture. It was a very cool one. I'm open to to restarting it for us. Where men and their sons who were old enough to not still need mom, I don't know if that's nursing or what, right? So men and the boys and and, and the people in the town, the village, they would build tents in the city and they would come out and they would stay for a whole week. They'd go camping. Men's retreat, it's coming, right? Women's retreat really is coming. Don't miss your signups. Early bird in soon. There's this retreat in these tents. And here's the point of the Feast of the Tabernacles. We're going to look back. We're going to look back on our lives at the faithfulness of God, at those glory cloud moments in our life when God showed up. And we're going to remember them. Is that a worthwhile activity? If you haven't done it lately, put that in your calendar this week. Look back and remember. It kind of sounds like Thanksgiving, right? You go around the table and everybody says, what are you thankful for? Look back and remember. But it wasn't just a, a celebration of remembrance. It was also a celebration of the future. Then you would spend time during that week and you would say, what about the future faithfulness of God? How God will continue to be faithful. And how do we know that God will continue to be faithful? By looking back. By looking back and remembering. By remember that he's a truth teller, that he doesn't lie, and that we've seen that, we've experienced that. Again, I think it's part of why God allows us to be in moments of desperation. So we stop leaning on ourselves and say, God, I got nothing. I got nothing. 
And during the Feast of the Tabernacles, the the disciples, the the people of God would take that week to look back and then look forward. And who better to look back with than Elijah and Moses? So let's not beat up Peter too quickly. He's like, does this sound like a good idea? Absolutely. Here's the problem. It's not God's idea. God's idea versus good idea. What wins? God's. But man, we're so good in California bringing good ideas to the table. Saying, God bless this. This is good. Church, can we remember that God doesn't need us, right? He's got a plan. Our job is to look for the glory cloud and to follow, amen? So Peter, in the middle of saying, here's the plan, guys. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna build these tents and we're gonna have a powwow and it's gonna be a party and it's gonna be good. And I believe it would have been good. But as Peter's in the middle of his sentence, look what the text says. I love this. As Peter was talking these things, a cloud shows up and overshadowed them and they were what? Afraid, the cloud representing God's presence we've seen in the Old Testament, which Moses has seen and has experienced. The cloud shows up, and when God shows up, what must we do? Stop talking. Listen. The cloud shows up and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. The song we just sang, that the presence literally of God overwhelmed them. You picture it? And the cloud shows up, he says it three times. Why does he say it three times? I'm afraid we'd miss it if we didn't see it over and over and over again. God shows up and interrupts Peter. And the voice comes out from the cloud saying, this is God's voice. Now, for the most part so far, God's been pretty silent in the gospel of Luke. Have you seen it? He's letting other people talk for him. Who's talked for God so far? Audience participation, one of the message. Work with me. Who's talked for God so far? Jesus. Who else? Angels. Gabriel. Mary, Elizabeth, women do a great job talking as God. It's why I often joke that the Holy Spirit for me is a five foot two female named Jen. And that's half joke, half truth. But God shows up in God for really the first time. When was the one other time that God talked? Do you remember? Baptism of Jesus. But this time, it's almost as if the baptism of Jesus, chapter three, verse 22, it's almost as if God is talking to Jesus directly. Now who is God talking to? The disciples. And he says, the voice comes out in the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And would you stop talking, Peter, and listen to him? Not only is he God, but he's my son, my chosen one. And again, there's this sense, I feel like, for us to be like, oh yeah, that's who Moses was, right? Moses, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him who you shall listen to. We listen to Moses only because Moses was good for taking us to who? Jesus. But Jesus is here, so listen to him. This is my son, God says, the chosen one, the Messiah. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found what? I think it's significant that he was alone. These two men that even the crowds were wondering, is this God No, 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 this is Jesus. And Jesus alone is the way, the truth, the life. If there was any other way, God would have had a crazy plan in in actually offering his son. Jesus alone is the one that's gonna take us to relationship with the Father. And Peter must understand this. James and John and the disciples and at Vintage, we must understand this, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the right answer. So he's standing alone. Jesus is like no other. The glory is revealed of Jesus. The fulfillment of all prophecy, and he's the son, the chosen one, the Messiah, and we must listen. 
So before we end the passage, I want to go back and kind of observe what did the disciples do. What was going on with the disciples? I feel like that's a lot of our application today. Now, we, is any of this new news to us, Vintage? Not necessarily. Now, has it been actually internalized, and do we live as if this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth? No, we're all in that process too, which is why I want to look at the disciples and say, okay, disciples, Jesus is like no other. What can we learn by observing you and your journey? How can we increase our certainty so that we might not miss out on your glory? So let's make a couple general observations of the disciples and the obstacles that they face. Go back to the beginning of the text. Here's how the text starts. About eight days after, why does Luke say eight days after? Anybody know? I think here's Luke's point. Luke's intent is simply this. This was a precise time. Because Luke is not writing about chronology. That's not how he's writing his, his gospel. He's writing about themes. And as he's writing, he's saying, hey, this was a precise time. Eight days after all these things, pick up your cross and I yourself and follow me. Now this is going to happen. And here's the reality. It's been two and a half years the disciples have been walking with Jesus. Two and a half years since they stood on the seashore in Luke chapter 5. And these sayings after all these sayings, and that Jesus reached out to them and he invited them in. Because there's many times we're like, God, we just want to see you. Are we even listening enough to hear the invitation? The God the Father sends the Son, and the God the Son sends the Spirit, and I believe the Spirit this morning is inviting many of us into understanding with him. It's called the Word of God. It's why we gather. It's why we listen And God, through Jesus, invites the disciples, and he takes the initiative. He takes them in. Because we can be a little, I think, misguided if we sing songs and we say, well, the pursuit of God's presence is the only exclusive goal. Because often what we see is God pursuing us, that his presence shows up and we're not ready for it. So he, Jesus, invites them, and he takes them up. And what does he invite them to do? He invites them to pray. That's his purpose. He invites them to pray. And we say at Vintage Grace that prayer is the what? It's the work. Like, our prayer life matters. I don't just mean food. I mean every second of every day, waking up in the morning, God, what are you inviting me into? I asked this last week. I'm going to try again. Who said that prayer once this week? Yes, five of us. We're making progress. Every morning, Lord, what are you inviting me into today so that when I hit the valleys of my life, I'm able to say, well, God, this is by your invitation. You're inviting me into this moment right now. Give me the eyes to actually see you. Or if we're on the the peak of the mountain, spiritually speaking, or professionally speaking, we can stand on the peak and look down and say, God, you've put me here. You've invited me here for a reason, for a purpose. We're praying. Prayer is the work. And the observation of the disciples, who's praying in this text? Maybe I'll ask it this way. Who's not praying in this text? The disciples. Now, we don't know what they're doing. We just know they're not praying. Church, can I invite you right now? Pull out your phones. Again, you don't have to, but you can. Pull out your phones. Mine's on the floor, so I'm going to do this. I want to invite you right now to set an alarm for 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. We've had our alarm sets for 6 o'clock for a long time. In fact, to be honest, guys, other than like special services, we've never hit that 600 barrier on a Sunday morning quite yet. I'm ready to give up on 600. I think we should set our alarms for 700. Partly because many of you I've heard, you're like, oh, man, 6 o'clock, I only get to pray once at night. So I'm going to fix that for you. Now you get to pray twice. 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And if you're not up by 7 a.m., send me an email, kylew.vintagegrace.org. We'll get you some stuff to do. (laughs) Set your alarm for 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and begin your day praying for people to come to faith. 
Begin your day praying, God, what are you inviting me into? And the reason why I set alarms is because if I don't set alarms, I'm sinful enough, I'm forgetful enough, I'm sleepy enough that I won't be focused on what matters most in my day and I'll get distracted by kids, by success, heck, for me, by ministry. Good things often distract me from God things. Set your alarm at seven o'clock and we are praying that God through vintage grace would bring 700 saints to faith. That's what we're praying for. There's 40,000 in our city. We're just praying for 700. Church, we gotta ramp up a little bit, amen? Seven o'clock, a.m. and p.m. so that every day we're praying for people to come to faith and we're praying, this is the scary part of the prayer, that God would use who to do that. And if you say Drew, you are fired. Because I don't want to rob you of the joy that awaits you in being the living proof of loving God. Because it's not just John Meyer that received joy in receiving the blessing. Who received joy to? Those who gave it. That's the gift God's given us as his disciples. But the disciples, you know what they're not doing? They're not praying. And if you don't pray, what have you already set yourself up for? Man-made initiatives, not God work. We don't want to be about the man of God. We want to be about God. Amen? We don't celebrate man. We don't celebrate Moses. We don't celebrate Elijah. We're thankful they point us towards Jesus. He's who we celebrate. He's who we worship. He's who we follow. But their failure, their obstacle was in not praying. Church, let's not not pray. Otherwise, everything we do at Vintage is worthless. And it's not praying saying, God, bless Vintage, bless us. It's praying saying, God, use me to bless others. Different prayer. I just believe as that happens, we'll see more and more people excited about Jesus. Are you more excited about Jesus today than you were last year? I hope so. That's what we're here for. But if we don't pray, we haven't done the work, and then we're not ready. So let's keep looking at the text. He, Jesus, was praying. The work happens. And now Peter, who were with him, they were heavy with sleep. See, here's my conviction. When we're not praying, what are we doing? We're heavy with sleep. And I've heard people all the time, they try to argue, well, well, you've got to defend the disciples. It came up in staff meeting this week. Well, you know, poor disciples. They're so busy. They've been doing so much work. They've been, so, they've been doing healings and this. Anyone here tired? It's like the number one answer. How are you doing this morning? Tired. Hey, guess what? So's everybody else. And the disciples, they're tired. They're heavy with sleep. One of the elders that our elder me this last week said, well, it's kind of like this. Can you imagine how cool this is? The disciples get invited in to go to Jesus, with Jesus, to like his favorite fishing spot ever. Now, I'm not a fisherman, so that doesn't sound very exciting. But these guys are fisher of men, so that'd be exciting, right? Could you imagine if Jesus says, hey, come in. This is the sweet spot. This is the sacred space. I'm bringing you my inner three. Would we ever fall asleep? Be careful how you answer. (laughs) But the disciples, they're tired. Now, I've been there, right? Late at night, you roll the window down, you crank up the music, you're biting your inner cheek, trying to stay awake as you're driving the car. Guys, many of us as evangelicals, my fear is we're asleep. We're asleep and we can sing songs like Jesus Take the Wheel and they're going to sell a lot of albums. But are we really doing that? Are we really saying, no, Jesus is driving and I'm awake and I'm ready and I'm active and I'm praying and I'm prepared and I'm ready for whatever's coming today. What a cool life to live, amen? That's the invitation God's given us. To live that life, to wake up, to journey with him, to walk in faith, not by sight. But you notice how they reference Jesus? Jesus just last week was the Christ, but what is he now? Master, which is really just a respectful term. 
when we're asleep, we tend to get confused. We tend to forget. And all the commentaries, they said, hey, master's really this respectful term. It's not a Lord term. Let's be careful to see that when we're asleep, we start to slide back on the throne of our lives. We start to go to God like Peter and say, God, I got this really good plan. And we stop asking Jesus, what's your plan? And can we just have the strength to follow? So the observation of the disciples this morning is simply this. If we don't prep and pray, we will miss out Peter misses out on, I think, the full picture of the glory. He sees a piece of it, but he misses out on the full picture. He misses out on the conversation about the departure because he's sleepy, because he's not ready. Does that not describe our Christian lives sometimes? Church, we can learn from this. It's time to wake up, starting with prayer, starting with living on mission, looking around. Stop saying, what do I want? And start asking God, what do you want? Because there's more joy in doing what he wants than there will ever be in doing what you want. Because everything you want, you'll get it. And what will happen? You'll want something else or more. But the presence of God, there is no longing for anything greater than that. So we pray because prayer is the work and we see the glory of God. And it reminds us again of Moses in Exodus 40. The cloud covered the tent where the, filled, where the tabernacle was and they were not able to enter the tent. Why? Because God's glory was there. But as New Testament Christians, the veil has been torn. We have access to the Father. We have Jesus sitting at the right hand that's interceding for us and we get to receive the glory of God in ways that no one in the Old Testament ever could. Are we watching? Are we seeing that? Are we praying, God, every red light I know is for your glory? Because the disciples are missing it. And the cloud settles on them in the Old Testament. The cloud settles on Peter. And guess what, church? The cloud is with us. Emmanuel, God, with us, the glory of God. I'm going to share an article later this week on Facebook, a great article from John Piper that talks about how do we pursue God? How do we create in us a heart that's ready to receive him when he shows up? Because here's the reality. God is where? Everywhere. We're not pantheists. We don't think that God is everything, but God is everywhere. Do we recognize that? That's the song we just sang. Make us more aware of your presence. We don't invite Jesus here because guess what? He's here. We just pray that we recognize him. And praying helps me do the work so that I don't miss it. Because how much of our life we look back and we say, oh my gosh, if only that. Don't do that with the glory of God. Don't be Peter. Learn from him. Pray and watch. Because if we don't pray and if we don't watch and open our eyes, we will miss out. And that's been the coolest part of Vintage Grace for me is watching the last two and a half years God move in ways that I can't even understand or believe and you all are an answer to prayer. Now go be the answer for somebody else to a prayer that they don't even know they're praying. Don't miss out. And here's what I love about the text. And then the voice that spoke and Jesus was found alone and they kept silent. They didn't tell anyone of what happened in those days, anything of what they had seen. Here's why I think, because they were trying to catch up. Their brain had exploded. They saw the glory of God and they're like, what in the what? And they're trying to catch up and they're trying to process and they're trying to understand the faithfulness of God. They're looking back, dots are being connected for them. 
in the same way that I'm convinced we need dots connected for us. And they're trying to understand this, so I, I normally have implications. I just have one for us this morning, and it's simply this. What motivates our obedience? What's going to encourage us to pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him? Here's what's going to motivate us. Not a great sermon. Takes a lot of pressure off me. Not a great life group leader. What's going to motivate us is a reflecting remembrance of God's glory and his faithfulness. That's what's going to motivate us. So right now, church, it's time to remember. Because I'm convinced if we remember, then we'll be ready to go. Then we'll remember when there's no tires, we didn't need them. Then we'll remember when we are suffering that it's God's invitation. And if God invited us there, there's nowhere better to be. That we'll remember the transfiguration, we'll increase in our certainty because we'll look back at his faithfulness and then we'll be ready to go forward. Church, are you ready to go forward? Then right now, start going back and think of the good father. I want to invite you right now. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. The worship band's going to come forward and we're just going to remember. We're going to see the glory of God in our past. We're going to process that in our presence so that then we're ready to move into God's faithfulness and do in the future. Not because we should, not because we're supposed to or because we ought to, but because it's best for us. When was that time that the glory cloud showed up in your life? disciples are silent for a few reasons so they might remember what Jesus just did. Spirit of God, I pray right now that you open our eyes, that you help speak the truth of your experience into my brothers and sisters' lives right now. Help them see. May they have been trained to hear your voice and may you speak right now. Remind us, Father, of your faithfulness and of your goodness. Even now, reveal to us some of those thousand stories that you've done in our lives that we missed. We, we, we failed, God. We missed them. Show us right now. This week, bring to mind a time that you were faithful and we didn't even see you. Show us the stories of your love, of your grace, of your peace, and how you've invited us into that with you. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that your faithfulness is not dependent upon our faithfulness, but often it's in, in lieu of our faithfulness that the glory cloud shows up after Peter misses it. So right now, Father God, I ask that you would reveal to us your faithfulness. Through your Spirit's prompting, remind us of those stories of love, of grace, of peace. We worship you this morning. We worship you.